Hi folks, I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 3rd of December 2017. I hope everyone is hanging on to their sanity as we go through this massive phase of new logic, you might say. This forced new logic, which is no logic at all. It really is just mass brainwashing, as far as I can see, where everything that was is being changed and altered or turned upside down to accommodate the new. Everything has to be made new. Very old idea, and that's what you're going through today, of course. Social engineering on a massive scale with new indoctrinations and new belief systems. Again, all the old techniques which were proved effective in previous ages, even in ancient times, are brought back into into being, along with coercion and even threat, you might say, too, on the populace, not to go if they won't go along with certain things. If you have your own opinion on something, it's probably best not to say anything these days because you can get some incredible backlashes from those who are invested, as the, this is the terminology they use, invested in the, the new understandings, you might say, of humanity. And it's not going to stop here. Uh, this is, a, again, as I say, this is the biggest change in society that we've had for many centuries, in fact, uh, right down to bringing forth all the old ideas of even early psychology and behaviorism, which really set out the premises that they could train people like animals to believe anything and respond that way about anything. Anyway, in other words, the, the better the indoctrination and techniques of indoctrination, the more so people will go along with things too. Using, again, understood properties of observation like peer group acceptance and wanting, wanting to belong in your peer group, going along to get along, plus all promotions, for instance, and all kinds of jobs will depend on you going along with all the new premises. It truly is amazing to watch it all, knowing it was going to come because the big players oh, 40, 50 years ago or even further back talked about it. And so much of the nation's, different nations' tax money has gone into research on the populace to see how they could bring all these different things forward. Again, too, remember that the things which are now being put into disrepute, which is marriage, which has children, that's going out the window. You can have all kinds of marriages if you want to, just don't have any children. That's awfully important for the people at the top. And all kinds of promiscuous sexual behavior are encouraged, of course. It's speeding up too until we'll get to a stage of saturation. They talked about this in, in books put out by behaviorists many years ago, and I read some on the air a long time ago, which said that eventually people get fed up fed up just having sex and males will try all kinds of new things too to try and get a sort of kick and women as well and it'll go on and on until we're going to kind of absurdity which we're pretty well at today that's where it all is you can't look at a newspaper and see Britain for instance without a mass of bare skin all down the side of the pages which is meant to distract you from the so-called horror of the occasional real story. Most of the stories today are not even real. Someone, for instance, one individual who has something wrong with, say, their facial bone structure because they were born that way, that's not what was called news before. Now it is. 
one person on the planet. It's ooh-ah stuff. It's like the bearded lady bring forth the ooh-ah for, for a night and you talk about it and you forget about it before the week's out. It's all ooh-ah stuff you're getting today, which is replaced news. And we're being weaned away from participating in things which we should be involved in, at least be aware of. We're being weaned out of even looking for it, or even finding it, of course, is harder, but because we're, we're not supposed to be bothered about that anymore. Leave it to the experts, those who really run your country or the, your blocks of country or the world, and, and just go and play yourself. That's the story. But there's no point spending hours of your day anymore looking for real, real news. You probably won't get it. You'd have to join the big think tanks that are heavily funded by very wealthy institutions, and they're private, basically. And again, these think tanks are to do with, again, human behavior, how to manipulate it into the next phase, the next phase, the next phase, and even specialized areas and subcategories of the same kind of thing. We really are in a scientifically managed system. And it's quite amazing to watch it. If you stand apart, the whole thing is standing apart and not getting pulled in. Don't get pulled into stories that are intentionally put out there and they're emotive to make you take a side and to be angry about something. Don't get pulled in. These are distractions. They're meant to soak up your time and your energy and give you an ulcer. So stand back from things and almost like an alien. <laughs> Just try to pretend you're an alien for a little while and, and read the stuff that they put out for you to consume. And then see what kind of impression you get off the system and the techniques which are being used upon everyone. It's the only way to do it. Now remember the big players years ago, like Bertrand Russell, who couldn't help but publish his stuff because he had a tremendous ego at the same time. He, he wanted to impress his peer group. But he, and many of the things he said if you're not careful, can suck you in. They're meant to. He uses an awful lot of logic. Remember where he's coming from. It's from a different perspective. Because he did not see the working people, the ordinary people, really is almost human, you might say. Like H.G. Wells, the same kind of character. A tremendous snob. And he did believe in eugenical breeding, as they all did. They believed themselves that they were products of very specialized selective breeding and choices. And they had people categorized into their categories. The working class were below par in many ways and so on. And that's never changed. That whole idea, that premise has never changed. The top socialists of, say, Britain, for instance, the Fabians, were complete eugenicists. And they hoped to breed out the bad genes of the peasantry and even force laws through where they could use working-class women and have them impregnated with superior genes from the nobility, which just happened to be the same agenda as the so-called right-wing group that ran the country at the time. Quite, quite amazing. And as I say, there's, there's no difference between the, the, those who rule, really rule, run both sides of everything. And they'll always come to the same conclusions. You've got Charles Galton Darwin in Britain, who worked on the Manhattan Project. He was a scientist and a physicist. And he came out, too, with the next million years, his own book on what they'd have to do from the top, looking down, what they'd have to do to, to bring us a system where the world would survive. And he had the whole eugenic idea put in there as well.
one thing they all agreed upon at that level was that the rest of the people below a certain level. And don't think that you you are above that level, even if you, you're in a, a, a kind of middle-class profession. Their levels of superiority are much higher than you'd think. And Julian Huxley said the same thing, that many people who'd even helped them bring this, this world revolution of socialism in, which was a managed society, remember, run by experts, he says many of them who would help them would be surprised and shocked to find out they were also on the list to be sterilized or killed or whatever, however they're going to get rid of them. So you would understand that uh, these systems always use people, always use people, so that things that you might be for when you think you're an intellectual can actually be working against you because you're included in those who are supposed to go down the tubes eventually. Today, too, we get the smatterings of the same thing, leaking through once in a while, where they talk about, oh, certain, oh your genes might carry the wrong kind of uh, problem, a problem down the road, and there's a 90% or a 80% or a 60% chance it will manifest, and you, you could be a burden on society. That's pervasive all through the medical literature today with genetics, because that was always the whole. Behind everything, even the sciences, I keep telling people this, you can't take sciences at face value with their statistics and so on. They, if you have enough money, you can get the results you want on any particular thing when it comes to percentages, etc., etc. Believe you me, they can. I might touch on something tonight to do with that too. Because all the sciences and all information is politicized for agendas. And that's not new either, because Bernays, who was way up there, he published a lot of stuff on propaganda and the techniques of marketing and things like that. He, he, he was quite upfront about using information and statistics and so on, and by how to do it, how to set up even little offices or even panels of people, put them on, just get their names on it, professors or doctors or whatever, and it would sound more official. So this panel, these experts who had just announced blah, 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 therefore it must be true. Well, we still use these techniques today, and the panels that they create and so on are much, much larger. So you can always get the results that you want if you're the person at the very top that controls it all. We always make the mistake of thinking that once you label someone an expert or an intellectual or a professor or something like that, you, you think that, that somehow the virtue, what they call the virtue and the honesty quotient, is going to go up exponentially with it too. It doesn't. Why, makes you th- why should that be? Some of the, the most horrific people on the planet are people with good IQs, high IQs. And the problem that often comes with it, in fact, is they know this and they're so proud of it that you can't, they, they can't live with anybody else. No one can live with them. They're such incredible snobs with delusions of grandeur. And they believe that they should rule the world. That will never go away, that, you see. So what happens when you think that you're a bunch of them together in some little club? Same problem. That's what happened before. When they sat and talked about eugenics and how to cull off the useless eaters, as Bertrand Russell called them, that has never stopped. And we're taught, again, to, to praise these characters because of the occasional bit of wisdom that they put forth. But don't forget, they had many panels working beneath them who could put forth lots of wisdom. And you don't have to get the panels, actually, to collect the kind of wisdom. There's lots of time and maybe a bit of money. So the technique is, is to is almost with Bertrand Russell. It's interesting. I say some of his books are good with the facts, the facts that they could observe back then. Like war is crazy. Look at that. The cost of war, 
not just monetarily, but physical as well. And the maiming of it, not just the deaths of it all. And the waste of all your cross-national products. You would see the obvious things. And he got lots of folk to follow him because of that. But the the same character talks about culling off useless leaders. For a planned economy, a planned society, planned everything. And I really mean planned economy, that's never gone away. And as they bring the cashless society forward at a massive pace today, very quick, they want it all electronic within the next few years, and there's lots of articles out there about that, then you'll get to the stage where they can and will dish out to the public your, your weekly or monthly stipend, you might say, which you cannot save up. You must spend it all uh, for your essentials. And it starts off at the same figure. See, see if it's a Monday or a Friday, it would start off at the same figure every week or month or whatever. And if you're bad, social disapproval is used upon you, more so than ever today with their tweeting and all this nonsense in their Facebooks. They're using it all as though it was some kind of jury, a, a, a morality jury. Oh, you're bad. Your opinion is bad. So we're going to punish you this week or this month or whatever. Then they can withhold the credits. That was the idea that Bertrand Russell talked about. As punishment. That's all. Whatever they plan at the top is never tossed out. They don't toss it out and say, oh, it's old now. No, no. They, they, can, they might take a hundred years to get to one part of it, but they will get to it. And, and a lot of it is catching us up right now. So never throw away the past thinking, well, these old fuddy-duddies didn't know what they're talking about. These fuddy-duddies created the very culture that you're in right now, including the massive changes in the culture right now. Even though the guys, the people are dead, they, they, they helped set up that, that culture. Now, Zygmunt Brzezinski said in the 70s, in one of his books, that the people will eventually expect the media to do their reasoning, their thinking for them. And that, again, was one of the goals of directed media, consolidated media, all giving the same stories and same spins on everything until the public are left debating amongst themselves on, on a daily basis. The, the trivia that's given is real serious topic for them to, to, to discuss. And it's never been more correct than it is today, because, as I say, it's to give us the wow stories, like, oh, wow, look at that, oh, dear, this person was born without facial bones, blah, blah. How many billions of folk are on the planet, but this is a story? It's not only a story, it'll be an old story. This is what they give you for stories today. Like, wow, look at that, wow. Or, ooh, ooh, or, you know, that's it. That's it. Like, flash, flash emotions. Oh, oh, God, ooh. That's what you're given for stories. But the real things are happening way above that. There are more think tanks than ever working on all the big problems of society. Or even creating more problems as they change society to get to whatever goals they were set up to, to get to. But Zygmunt Brzezinski said that. He said eventually the public will expect the media, not only giving them their topics of conversation, but they'll expect the media to do their thinking and reasoning for them, like an appendage to your brain. And most folk actually see it like that. I think, well, they, t- they tell us. Or if you tell them something they don't know, and even show them the proof that's sent to you by the United Nations, 
or from part of the European Central Commission, things like that, they will say, oh, that can't be true, even though it's there, stamped in the whole thing. That can't be true. Somebody would stop them. Somebody would do something about that. That's their first answer to everything. Somebody would. Where is this somebody? Is it Hollywood? Is it Clint Eastwood? And you know, who, who is it? Who's the somebody? And that's how folk think. It never dawns on them that perhaps they should you know, get a few neighbours, go out with petitions, get assigned, and maybe try and do something about whatever it happens to be. It doesn't dawn on them at all. They, they, they prefer not to believe it, actually. And, and they'll actually say that. I prefer, I choose not to believe this. Because it's frightening. And it is frightening. Most things are frightening that are happening. Because the, the, the answer to, if you, if you come to accept that things are not stumbling along down through the darkness and just, and those that manage the planet are just tripping over things and trying to rectify things as we go along. If you realize that no, things are planned the way they go, it becomes too frightening for most people. And that's why the mainstream media, regular media, doesn't go into the stuff that they could certainly could dish out to you if they wanted to. But the reason that media is so consolidated today into a handful of of basically owners is to stop you getting access to other information. Except the trivia, trivia, go out and play yourself and look at this, ooh, isn't that terrible? That's what you're given for information today. But they could, they certainly could give it to you if if they wanted to, but they don't want to, they know not to give it to you. I've read so many stories over the years of frightening things, absolutely frightening things, from the main sources, actually, themselves, or in publications, including the Rockefeller studies on society and what they would do with society, what they planned, and so on. They were only part of it, remember. For America, they were the big part for, this, for the CFR, for America, for years. But they talked about you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And that also includes mass migrations of people across the planet, for instance. And all that would come with that, with the clash, as cultures clashed, as various uh, criminal elements have come along with mass migrations and utterly uh, upset the Western societies. And if society wanted to have prevented that, they would have prevented it, but they didn't, did they, at the top? It was planned that way. I mean, why would you, if you're following the rule book and your population is not growing, then they blame you for your population not growing when they've been telling you for since World War I in Britain that there's too many of you. And I've got the books from that, that period, by the way, printed, where they're telling the population, oh, it's terrible, you, you've got to bring down your population. Well, the people comply and they follow all the rules. And then they also have, as Charles Galton Darwin talked about, the added squeeze of economics, because you can also force people to, to make it very difficult to have children when it's expensive, make it more expensive to have them. And then you have the two parents going out to work to just survive. If you make the economy happen that way too, and work that way, and you're going to have less children. And then you turn around and say, well, there's not enough of you. Well, what is it? We're getting punch drunk here. What is it? You're complying, but there's not enough of you. So you've got to bring in masses of migrants, again, with, with the problem. But this is a world society you're looking at. You're looking at a world society. There was always the agenda. 
the borderless world through phases into a global parliamentary system. Very old idea, well published, the Parliament of Man, all that kind of stuff, but ruled by the intelligentsia and professors and doctors of various different uh, sciences and subjects and so on. That's who's to rule it all, you see, on behalf of those at the very top, because they're always going to partner and keep this kind of money system in, in the hands of a few, these secretive groups, like the World Bank, for instance. So there's been articles we've read before which say that it's so incredibly secretive what they do when they meet together, a handful of people, really. And then you have the, the groups beneath it, the IMF, and uh, and various other groups, uh, the, the Overseas Economic Development Corporations and so on, that all go under the United Nations branch, but they're all set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, all of them set them up. They're all private institutions, but it's set up by the same group. And it's for a world society, always was for a world society. There's bickering as to what goals they wanted initially, the British Empire type system, the goal was actually to use that empire system and create it from within, basically, from that, that structure called the Commonwealth of Nations, and then take it from there and expand it. It didn't mean they'd always keep the power in, the, 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 in, a, in a small group um, in England. That The group certainly is still in the banking system in England, but that's about it. But the system we've got now with money, which is... So abstract today, you only know you've not got it when you're starving, but it's very abstract because most folk don't even touch what's called money. They've got a little bit of plastic and that's what they use. And there's articles out now about the plan to phase out the bank machines now within the next few years, step by step, until you'll all... See, everything has to be registered in the world society. What you're doing, what your income is, what you're spending, what you're buying... And, and you will, you'll, you'll get nudges and, and actually visits eventually when uh, you're eating too much of the, what's called the wrong foods and so on after being told repeatedly by your artificial intelligence uh, that uh, what you're doing is wrong or you're eating more than your share or whatever it happens to be. This is, this is the, this system that's coming in right now as we speak. So never think, at least I never think, that that which you're given just happened to spontaneously come out by itself to do with the, the internet, the type of internet, the big servers that you've got, all tied in with intelligence agencies and the Facebook and everything else that's out there that folk are encouraged to go into and use. Any more than, than your supermarkets are there just to make money. Everything's to do with power and control. Power and control, everything out there. And it's not my suspicion of it that makes it so. It's the fact that that's been well documented uh, by many of the folk who set up uh, the, the conglomerate media of today and set it up a long time ago. I went through the, the organizations from their own records to do with how they set up the conglomerate inside the U.S., with, by the Rockefellers in a group. They actually paid for the studies to be done, how many of the mainstream media they'd have to own in magazines and, and so on to control and put out unified public opinion on the public. That's, that's power. And everything's about power today for the managed, expertly run society. Now here is 
an article from the National Science and Technology Council. It's got, it's got a National Artificial Intelligence Research and Development Strategic Plan. This is from last year. Artificial intelligence is a transformative technology. And this is the, this is the, this is the age of change, transformation. The 21st century was to be the, the, the century. All this was to happen. Everything that ever planned in sociology and all the rest of it in the sciences, the social science, were to be fulfilled and that managed society. Anyway, it's a transformative technology that holds promise for tremendous societal and economic benefits. It has the potential to revolutionize how we live. Artificial intelligence, remember. How we live. Agenda 21, 21st century. 2030 and so on. Work, learn, discover and communicate. It can further our national priorities, including increased economic prosperity, yeah, for the, those who own all. Improved educational opportunities, meaning if you go along with, with all the opinions you're given in education, you'll succeed. If you have a mind of your own, you probably won't. And quality of life, eh? And enhanced national and homeland security, because they'll know everything that everybody's doing. Because of these potential benefits, the U.S. government has invested in artificial intelligence research for many years, yet as with any significant technology in which the federal government has interest, there are not only tremendous opportunities, but also a number of considerations that must be taken into account in guiding the overall direction of federally funded research and development in artificial intelligence. So we're paying for all this stuff. All the countries are paying for this we always pay for, the, for our own change, you might say. Our chains and our change, because <laughs> we're to be changed by all. On May the 3rd, 2016, the administration announced the formation of a new NSTC subcommittee on machine learning and artificial intelligence to help coordinate federal activity in artificial intelligence. And they've got strategic plans and objectives for where it's to go always dressed up in benefits to society and so on. So they want to make long-term investments in artificial intelligence research, develop effective methods for human and artificial intelligence collaboration, rather than replace humans, it says most artificial intelligence systems will collaborate with humans to achieve optimal performance. Really? Well, who's designing what is optimal performance? Uh, right now, they could, you could go into have your, a mind wipe, you might say, and come out and be utterly politically correct and see all the, the new uh, in vogue uh, things. And you'll be, you'll be improved. They'll call you improved. Researchers need to create effective interactions between humans and artificial intelligence systems. You're going to be spied on about everything you do. It's bad enough already, but it's going to be an awful lot worse. Understand and address the ethical, legal, and societal implications of artificial intelligence. They expect it to behave according to the formal and informal norms to which we hold our fellow humans. Researchers need to understand the ethical, legal, and social implications and to develop methods for designing systems that align with ethical, legal, and societal goals. Well, who decides what the ethical goals are? You can also see the changes we're going through now. We don't decide this. It's all given from the top down. Legal, same thing. And societal goals, who decides what societal goals should be? I mean, those at the top already, in the scientific realms, believe that they should decide what the societal goals are. How you behave, how you think, what your opinions are, and all the rest of it. 
ensure the safety and security of artificial intelligence systems, develop shared public data sets and environments for artificial intelligence training and testing. So we're always getting tested on us, naturally, and measure and evaluate the technologies and so on. Now, then we go into this article here, which ties in with it. Facebook rolls out artificial intelligence to detect suicidal posts before they're reported. You could tie us in with Minority Report too, where you'll be tried for pre-crime before you actually do any crime. They'll detect that you don't know it yourself, but you are thinking about it. It's the same thing. So they're using it as something that you, you're not going to object about initially. So, well, it's to detect suicidal posts before they're, before they're reported. Software to save lives. Isn't, it, isn't everything that's sold to you that takes away rights and freedoms sold to you as, as a beneficial thing? Hmm? Facebook's new pro, proactive detection. So there you go. There's that word, proactive. Anything proactive is apparently good for you. Yep. Artificial intelligence technology will scan all posts for patterns of suicidal thoughts. And when necessary, send mental health resources to the user at risk or their friends or contact local first responders. By using artificial intelligence to flag worrisome posts to human monitors instead of waiting for user reports, Facebook can decrease how long it takes to send help. It previously tested using artificial intelligence to detect troubling posts. Well, you can see how many folk are getting banned off it with the opinions that they have, eh? Anyway, and more pro- uh, prominently surface suicide reporting options to friends in the US. Now Facebook... Uh, will scour all types of content around the world with this artificial intelligence, except in the European Union, where general data protection regulation privacy laws on uh, profiling users based on sensitive information complicates the use of this technology. We don't have that problem, apparently, elsewhere. They can grab whatever information that they want, in other words. Facebook also will use artificial intelligence to prioritize particularly riskier urgent user reports, so they're more quickly addressed by the moderators and tools to instantly surface local language resources and first responder contact info. It's also dedicating more uh, moderators to suicide prevention, training them to deal with the cases 24-7, and now has 80 local partners like Save.org, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and Forefront, which to provide resources to at-risk users and their networks. Now, that's not going to end there, as you well know. Again, it's, it's literally minority report. It is, obviously. It says, The creepy, scary, malicious use of artificial intelligence will be a risk forever, which is why it's important to set good normals today, good normals, around weighing data use versus utility, and be thoughtful about bias creeping in. And there's a few links involved in this article too, which go along with it. To the article you can look up and and see. And it says artificial intelligence. This is Zuckerberg who says uh, in the future will be more understanding. I'll understand more of the subtle nuances of language, and we'll be able to identify different issues beyond suicide as well, including quickly spotting more kinds of bullying and hate. Do you understand where it's all going? This is policing, policing the subtle nuances of language, until literally you'll be locked up 
or put in a deep freeze like you see in these sci-fi movies forever, basically, because you had a subtle nuance that they detected when you talked about a particular topic. Hmm. It says, unfortunately, after TechCrunch asked if there was a way for users to opt out of having their posts, Facebook spokesperson responded that users cannot opt out. They noted that the feature is designed to enhance user safety (laughs) and that support resources offered by Facebook can be quickly dismissed if a user doesn't want to see them. So this is this is going the whole whole direction, as you can see. And I myself would say this isn't just a, a sudden change in ideas. I'd say that the, all these ideas were planned before you even heard of these particular programs that you're using. Of course, it is. Everything's about power. Again, don't forget that power and control. A new society completely new type of humanity in a sense as you go through the big transitions as they call it this is the age of transition changes this century all that the controlled ordered society by the end of the century has to be at the end of the century they hope hope to have accomplished everything with the new types of humans the vastly depopulated planet where the useless eater types that would have worked in the factories that's, that's what they say themselves and the lower-paid jobs will be gone. They'll, you'll only have the, the, the intelligentsia left and robots and all the rest of it. That's what they hope for. And they'll, they'll probably keep a, a certain few around in case anything goes wrong, but that's about it. The Brave New World scenario with the different types and classes of humanity. Quite interesting. When things don't make sense in society, it's not because those at the top who are planning it are simply stupid. Is that they have different agendas And they aren't going to tell you the agendas That's why it doesn't make sense to you it's If you're good and you're depopulating By not having children Or enough children Or a certain amount of children And you're going down to an optimum What was called the optimum The population for say the UK That one time was about 40, 40 million That's what they wanted was the optimum Now it's over 70 odd I think So if you're going the, the way that the figure that they wanted to get to, and then they blame you for not having enough people. Then there's a different agenda there. And it's a world agenda. As I've said before, the peasant from one country is not regarded in any higher esteem than the peasant of another by those who are in the higher classes, you might say. And Britain was really incredible. One of the incredible countries that really showed the class distinction. Incredible, really. At one time, actually, I don't know how bad it is now, but at one time in, in the UK, when I was growing up, your accent would put you in a category immediately as, as, as class A, B, C, D, or whatever it happened to be. Your dialect of, of speaking the language had you filed immediately. And what was int- interesting, it wasn't just customs of, of dress and lifestyle that differentiated the people. In a, class, a heavily, heavy class system, it was it was the it was the actual language itself. And if you listen to, for instance, Aldous Huxley, and how he talked, he was a product of the old school, the old upper class school. The same with Russell to an extent, and you you find it with Arnold Toynbee and some of his talks. Listen to the way they speak, and it was so designed. It had it, it, it pluses as well. They're very clear. And very precise Because language as they knew Was a very important thing Very important 
and they could really, uh, and it's quite interesting to listen to, to the different ways of describing things that Huxley will put out, Aldous Huxley, uh, and how precise it is. The man is thinking about every single word he uses. Very important, we forget that. But also, the accent that they had, and was prevalent at that time, had come from a bastardization of the language. Because when the German ones came in to Britain to take over the Royal Post and so on, they couldn't speak English. As they learned to speak English, they spoke with a different accent. And the, the, the courtiers and all the rest of them around them, and eventually it goes into the universities, because the upper class want to be in the real upper class. Everyone emulates the one above them. And so they adopted this different uh, accent that was brought in from a foreign influence, and that became the English language, the upper-class English language. It's interesting how, how, it go, how it works. You forget, too, at one time, the court in, in England, at one time, they spoke French for a while, and a particular type of French as well. It was the same thing. Once you get, uh, get uh, a particular royal family, for instance, coming in, all those who want power from the upper-lower to the middle classes, to, to the lower middle, and all the way through the different strata of middle classes, will emulate those at the very top. And that's how you ended up with that kind of language. But the, but the snob appeal was incredible, because it could, literally could decide for life. Didn't, forget abilities. It could decide for life where you were going to go in society, and, and positions, and income, and everything else. We forget that. But along with that came a view of those down below. As I've said before, George Bernard Shaw was quite blatant about it. And the socialist society they planned to bring in, by the elite, of course, that people like Shaw and that would, would decide uh, if you lived or, or died. Because they weren't going to take any dead weight along with them. And dead weight was anybody they didn't really need. Forget your abilities. If they didn't need you, that'd be it. You're dead weight. So we're dealing with something that's not new, this whole idea. And it's always couched in necessity. So today it's the same thing. We've got to bring down the population for necessity. They're not talking about bringing down their own populations at the top. Now, these last two articles to do with artificial intelligence and monitoring and classifying you. They've already classified you all, by the way. If you've been using Facebook and these things, you're completely classified. And uh, they'll have you down certain particular programs that you've never heard of. They've got you categorized and monitored and so on. That's, that was what the purpose was in the first place. It wasn't to make money. As I say, it was power and control by the authority. Of course it is. Same with money. Money is to go the same way. Now, how are they going to get to this managed monetary system? They've floated the ideas out in the last month or two about the, 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 everyone gets a, a basic income given to them, whether they work or not by the state. Now, that smacks of the old idea of communism, doesn't it? But you're still going to have the ideas, that the, the, the idea of money at the top run by the, the, the guys who own the money system by birthright or whatever it happens to be, they own it all. And that's not going to change at the moment, apparently. And there would be a war if they tried to take it out of the hands of the big, big investors on the planet. Of course it would. Because that is a power in itself, a tremendous power. They can take countries to wars, which does actually. But anyway, 
if you were getting a, everyone's getting a, an income given to them for the managed society, then how are you going to get there step by step? Well, it was always planned, and I used to scratch my head in the UK when they floated the idea of a service economy where you just buy, import things and pass them around from middlemen to the stores to the to the purchaser, and all the all the strata of actually making products. Because in each product that you make, there's different strata of companies involved from cutting trees, for instance, even for pulp uh, to make paper to all the different levels until the final paper. That was a lot of work in different companies. Or you get the raw ore and you make uh, metals out of them and then you send the metals off to different uh, refining and so on and so on, all the way up to the manufacture of products. That's a lot of work gone. And you're left with a service economy. It's not intended to it lasts forever. So what are they going to do with it? Well, it falls right in with the managed society. And a good chunk of society is going to get paid by the rest through their taxes not to work. They even discussed these different ideas back in the 70s in the UK. Now, how did they get you there? Well, let's go to the money system again. Something that very few folk really understand. And no wonder, it's not meant that you really understand. Even economists don't understand it. They had a, a tremendous documentary out years ago. I'm, I'm going to see if people can maybe find it. But I think it, was, I think it might have been Man Alive back in the UK, again, in the late 70s, where a whole bunch of economists, degreed economists, came out and, and said it was all bunkum. It was nonsense. The whole so-called science of economics was bunkum. And they explained why it was bunkum and so on. And I've said before, how come with all these professionals that so each time a crash comes, no one saw it coming? And the money just happens to disappear to money heaven, we're told. Hmm? Anyway, let's see how, the, how, you, how you would get from a service economy to the state of dishing out, doling out money to the people. Remember, remember, what George Bernard Shaw said, don't forget it, don't forget it. Don't, don't be fooled where he said that you, the people, would have to come to them, the socialists, the, the scientific elite, on behalf of those who rule the system, the money boys at the top. How they, you'd have to come to them to, to, and tell them, explain why they should keep you alive and not kill you to serve the system. Never forget that. So here you are, right? How do we get into the cashless society? The, the, the European Central Bank wants to end deposit protection and offer savers appropriate amount of their own money. I just touched on it last week, but I didn't go into it in too much depth. So this one is from RT. There's a whole bunch of other ones I'll mention too. But what it says, and this, this is, I've got the articles from the European Central Bank and so on. And remember, all the banks are interwoven across the planet today. That happened with the last crash too with investments abroad and all the rest of it, and they're all borrowing from each other and, and, and lending to each other and so on, completely intertwined. So covered deposits no longer need to be protected according to the European Central Bank. What they're talking about, and I mentioned these articles too over the last year, two years, was bail-ins. Every country under the World Bank, which is every country, Canada, states, all the countries, signed on to the bail-in thing, the bail-in idea, instead of bailing out. So if a, if a crisis comes, a massive crisis, the next time, they won't necessarily just be bailing out banks, they'll be 
taking away the, the depositors' savings. Now, you're supposed to be guaranteed up to 100000 in, in, I think, states and Canada's, but $100,000 deposits, you're safe up till then. But the, now, the bail-in thing, and I mentioned before, that fine writing and, and the whole thing that they signed, they could start going into your savings regardless and, and dis, dis, disregard the whole idea of a guaranteed $100,000 protection. In Europe, it's 100,000 euros. You actually get more, I think. Anyway, it says covered deposits no longer need to be protected. That's that's with insurance. According to the European Central Bank, which has proposed this month to stop withdrawals when a bank is on the verge of failing. Now, they knew years ago this was going to get to this stage. Even when 2007-8 crash happened, they said you won't see the full effect until another five to ten years. Because all you're doing right now is boring, boring, boring. Like filling the holes that were left from all the money that supposedly disappeared. And it says, Covered deposits and claims under investor compensation schemes should be replaced by limited discretionary exemptions to be granted by the competent, the competent authority in order to retain a degree of flexibility to the bank's proposal. It means that your deposits and savings and all that, and it will be a checking too, which is under investor compensation scheme, previously insured in other words, will be replaced or should be replaced by limited discretionary exemptions, meaning they can grab it by a competent authority. It suggested that the current €100,000 deposit level currently protected in the event of a bail-in would no longer be available. Hmm, just like that, stroke of a pen. During a transitional period, a change period, right, depositors should have access to an appropriate amount of their covered deposits. Now here, listen to this. To cover the cost of living within five working days of a request. So you have to put a request in if, say, the bank's in trouble. And within five days, the appropriate authority will decide how much you should be given to live on for that week or whatever it happens to be, pay bills and all that. So big brother, big daddy, that's going to grab your money, is going to dish it out to you just like they did in Greece with Sitclair. And they'll decide how much you need. Like a means test. What do you have to pay out in bills, etc., etc. And they'll work out how much they're going to give you from your own money to pay food and pay bills and so on. The ECB said a pre-resolution moratorium should be used to prevent severe deterioration of a credit institution's balance sheet and particularly allow supervisors to complete an assessment of the lender's viability. And urges fines on Eurozone members for failure to comply with reform rules. That's quite a good article, but there's many other articles too about it. And I'll put them, some of them up tonight. And this one's from Reuters. It says, There cannot be a common European insurance scheme for bank deposits if the level of unpaid loans is not reduced. The president of the European Central Bank said Monday, Mario Draghi's comments mark a rare alignment with Germany's position on a key issue and also his first attempt at fight back against Italian criticism of the ECB's decision to force banks to set aside more money against loans that go sour. So it's, it's really interesting, the wording of everything. And I've got a PDF as well from the big bank itself, which I'll put up for anybody who really wants to, to, to read it. They call it the opinion. Now, the opinion has more legal force than you think of an opinion as legality, as you see. 
its official journal from the official journal of the European Union, resolutions, recommendations and opinions, and opinion of the European Central Bank. Whenever they publish this stuff, remember, it's all been put into effect. Now, this particular opinion came from 2011 on a proposal for directive of the European Parliament of the European Council on deposit guarantee schemes, recast, and on a proposal for a directive amending directive, it says it 979EC of the European Parliament and the Council on investor compensation schemes. Now, these are the, in other words, the, the guidelines which they had initially, and then they signed the bail-ins after that. They're all set to go if the crashes happen again. It's really quite interesting. I think it's interesting, in a way, how people... Uh, we are treated like children, and, and we're, we're, we're distracted with nonsense and absolute incredible trash of trivia rather than give us the facts of how we're being mismanaged, not managed, but mismanaged, and the, 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 the fallouts from it all, too, is quite amazing, isn't it? Isn't it really? Now, you find awfully good articles in some countries, in newspapers, where the, 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 there's not as much control yet over what they say. The West, I would say, is pretty well all controlled, incredibly well controlled by conglomerates. I have lots of articles too, but I won't go through them all about that. But, the, but in some countries like um, India, for instance, you'll find awfully good information about what's going on. Now here's one here, and it's actually from the Telegraph, but, but it's, it's, it's actually in, I think, the Indian, India branch, perhaps. And it says, Concern over Balin and Provision on Bank Depositors. 30th of November 2017, it says politicians of various stripes have started to raise red flags about a provision in a bill that the Narendra Modi government intends to move in the Lok Sabha in the upcoming winter session, which could theoretically allow beleaguered banks and financial institutions to scoop up depositors' money to stop them from going bust. It's called a bail-in, a concept coined during the European banking crisis of 2008 and 2009, which has been wormed into the Financial Resolution and Deposit Insurance Bill. That's what we all have too. When a bail-in is triggered, a bank's depositors run the risk of being forced to bear a part of the burden of recapitalizing the entity. In effect, a part of their deposits may have to be written off. That's what happened to bondholders and depositors in Cyprus banks. Remember it happened in Cyprus? That's what the, that was a big test case. With more than 100,000 euros in their accounts. Well, today, of course, it's going to go, it doesn't matter how much you have, and they're, going to, they're going to go for all, it seems. Finance ministry officials have said there's no cause for alarm. They always say that. The provision is meant to ensure emergency capital for banks. They point out that banks in India have been fairly well regulated, blah, blah, blah. But at least they touch on it here, that the thing has been put in place. And it said that the bail-in instrument may convert any securities from one class to another, including the creation of a new security and modification of an existing security, the legislation says. In other words, they can, they can eventually say, well, okay, you had 100,000 in that bank. Under the new, the new normal, we have to... Cut it off to fifty thousand left to you, or even twenty-five, and the rest of it is is to bail out the bank. That, that's what it means. 
And it says, before a bail-in instrument is to be activated, the Resolution Corporation will have to inform the central government about the reasons for issuing it in the first place and the effect it will have. A copy of that report will have to be immediately placed before each House of Parliament. Now remember, too, that all the top banks, that happened the last time, are completely intertwined in who they, and they're lending to each other and borrowing from each other and so on. Banks in Canada, I read the articles that came, it was published at the time, uh, allowed on the air, of, of, of the, the, the banks that were affected. It was all of them, actually, all the top banks. All had to get bailouts. And they got special drawing rights from the U.S. Treasury. They put us in with, with uh, the U.S. because Canada was so, so darn broke at the time that without these special drawing rights, as they called it, bailouts, uh, we'd have been under completely. Since then, of course, they've had various tests, they call it stress tests and all that, to see how they can keep going through an emergency. But it doesn't really give them up. They're so incredibly interwoven, as they say, with their lending and borrowing from each other that... The last resort, of course, which I think they've all come to agree upon, will be the, the bail-ins, which is just taking the deposits that are in the banks and using them. And the, author- the, com- the competent authorities, they call it, will be there to uh, decide how much that you, that you should get that week or month or whatever it happens to be off your own money. And it'll mean you're going to get some kind of means test, obviously, by the competent authority. Now, just to touch at the end here of this talk, in the time we have, not much time at all, to do with, they're not stupid at the top, to do with the fact that you often think they must be, there's blundering along. Remember what the goals are, and they're quite open about it. Too many folk, always too many folk, or too many folk, and they keep bringing more folk into certain countries to to make sure there's too many folk. Hmm? And then you have... Articles like this, Canada and the United Kingdom have enticed 18 other nations to adopt mutual goal of winning themselves off coal-fired power. But at least two provinces trying to negotiate their way out of the federal government's own domestic plan. That's one article. And then you go into this one here. Uh, Climate change minister Claire Perry launches powering past coal alliance at COP23. Yeah. Lions and Nations and so on. And then you take it to this one here. Fuel poverty. What is fuel poverty? The UK fuel poverty is defined by the Warm Homes and Energy Conservation Act as a person to be regarded as living in fuel poverty if he or she is a member of a household living on a lower income in a home which cannot be kept warm at reasonable cost. That's one of them. But then you have this one, fuel poverty deaths are three times higher than government estimates. Well, are you surprised? The number of people dying as a result of fuel poverty, three times higher. Some 7,800 people die, that's not including the ones who get pneumonia and are almost dead and so on, during winter because they can't afford to heat their homes properly, says fuel poverty expert Professor Christine Little of the University of Ulster. That works out at 65 deaths a day. And it's defined as someone who needs to spend 10% or more of their income on heating their home. The new total calculated using World Health Organization guidance. The very fact that they bring in World Health Organization guidance. People have been heating themselves from before the Stone Age. And you know what you need themselves. But your ability 
to get reasonable fuel has been taken away from you, step by step by step. And it's to get made worse by all this cutting back on the carbon nonsense. And you know all about that. Ad nauseum, I'm sure, the articles that you've read and heard about and so on as they go on about it. They're really saying, what they're really saying, and I've gone through the articles before from the, from the very start of all this years ago, that the whole idea of CO2 and all is, is you. There's too many people, is what they tell you. Well, how do you bring down too many people? Hmm? You cut back their food production. You give them poor food, actually. I mean, lots of it, but poor stuff, nutrition-wise. And you cut back on heating and all the rest of it in the winter, and you watch it happen. The ones with the least incomes will go first, and these happen to be your main targeted groups. According to the eugenicists, from 50 years ago up to the present. Quite some, isn't it, to watch all happen. And you think, they just keep screwing up, do they? They're just screwing up, that's all it is, is screw up, see? Really? No, it's not. It's not. But what you do have is a lack of legalities to get quick justice for those who are causing the deaths of other people. By design. No one in this day and age should be freezing to death in cities and so on across the Western world in the wintertime. Shouldn't be happening. We know that. We know that. We put on a great show every for, for about a week or two, or for Christmas and for the homeless. We put a great show to soothe their consciences. But here's your governments, knowing darn well, as they cut back the variety to choose from of ways to heat yourself in the winter time, by law. They know what's going to happen. They know before it all happens. They know. <laughs> what do you call that? Well, Rockefeller said, well, you can't make the omelette without breaking eggs. That's all this is, this mess. It's just, uh, you know, the, the broken the broken shells. Well, personally, I think it's time we got back to putting a, a higher value on human life again. Because it's drastically being reduced. Which, of course, was the goal of Julian Huxley in his big speech at Planned Parenthood and at UNESCO. From myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, is good night. May your God or your God school with you.